Bandwidth for Priority One podcast is brought to you by Playa Escondida. Ever dreamed of visiting Planet Risa? Well, Playa Escondida is the ultimate beach resort excursion. Visit PlayaEscondida.com to book your ultimate vacation getaway. Command codes verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 141 of Priority One Podcast, the premier Star Trek online podcast, recorded Thursday on September 12th, 2013, live on trekradio.net and available for download or streaming Monday mornings at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm James. I'm Tony. And I'm Elijah. And what do we got in store this week, guys? Well, this week we trek out Dragon Con with our Andorian friends El, Vinny, and Adorpheus. In Stone News this week, we review some updates to the fleet leader security section in Legacy of Romulus, Dev Blog number 41. We'll talk Romulan ships when we cover Dev Blogs number 42 and 43. Later, we'll cover any important updates to the game in this week's patch notes. And in this episode's Community Spotlight, we hear again from our very own chivalry bean, Justin Lomaster, as he reviews another Foundry mission for you. And then we'll open up hailing frequencies to see what's incoming from you, our listeners. Captain's Priority One Podcast survives only by your generous, real-world donations. Visit Priority One Podcast and help us reach our monthly goals, please. With your help, we can help you feel closer to the big conventions like live broadcast from Las Vegas like we did this year, our on-site interviews with the stars, and much more. So please, more importantly, we need to keep the site alive by contributing to the cost of running this volunteer operation that we've got going here. Visit PriorityOnePodcast.com for more information on how you can help. We have so many different ways to do it. We even have ways where you can buy your goodies and still help the show. So please get on over and check that out and help us keep moving forward. Before we get on with the rest of the show, we want to take a moment and send our most sincere condolences to the friends and family of Mark H2O Rat Valentine, video lead at Perfect World Entertainment and longtime cryptic employee and friend. He passed away earlier this week after a lengthy battle with cancer. There has been an amazing response from the community sending their thoughts and prayers and positive energies to Cryptic and Mark's family. It's hard to move on to the rest of the show with something as somber as that, but um, but we must. Well, let's get ready to trek out Dragon Con with our Andorian friends L, Vinny, and Adorpheus. I don't know. Then let's trek it out. Alright, and on this episode's Trek It Out, we're joined by Kate, Robin, and Adrian. Our Andorian warriors here on <laughs> PriorityOnePodcast.com and also the writers and contributors of the In Development column on PriorityOnePodcast.com. Thank you all for joining me this evening. Hey. Hello. Thank you. Now, we've brought you on because you all were just at DragonCon not a week and a half or so ago uh, yeah. in the last week of August. So I wanted to bring you on and ask you all to convince me 
to go to Dragon Con and not Star Trek Las Vegas next year. So do you think you can do that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think it's a problem. Tell me a little bit about Dragon Con, because maybe I just don't understand perhaps what the difference is. So creation, if I understand, is more corporate, and so Dragon Con is yeah. not? Dragon Con is a fan-run convention. But to be honest, the biggest difference between the Creation Cons and Dragon Con is that Dragon Con is not dedicated to one show. It's a multimedia, multi-genre convention. Mm -hmm. And they have categories of programming that are called tracks, dedicated to tons of different stuff. There's a Star Trek track. Anything you can think of, pretty much. There's there's something for everyone. It's such an incredible experience. (laughs) I would love to experience a convention where it is about the fans. But one of the things that really, really puts me off about certain other conventions is that you have to pay extra for certain parts of the experience. At Dragon Con, everybody buys the same membership. It increases in price over the course of the year. But right now it's $65 and you get the entire experience. The only thing you have to pay extra for is getting an autograph. You don't have to pay extra to do anything. You, You have access to the entire convention. Let's hone in specifically a little bit on the Trek track. What does the Trek track offer? Well, there's Q&As, kind of similar to what, you know, happens at official Star Trek conventions. There's Q&As. They usually organize the guests by what show they're on. Like, this year, there were at least two TNG panels and two DS9 panels. I think there were three DS9 panels. Three DS9 panels. There was a bunch of guests from both TNG and DS9, and all of them were at each of their panels. Well, Mm -hmm. most all of them. I yeah. think Brent Spiner didn't show up till Saturday, so he was at, yeah. he was at the Saturday TNG panel. Yeah. The beauty pageant is kind of the big event that draws a lot of people every year. Back in the day, Trek Track was run by another director, and it was originally the Miss Klingon uh, uni- Empire pageant. Miss Klingon Empire beauty pageant. And since Garrett took over Trek Track, it's been the Miss Star Trek Universe beauty pageant. So I think this is the third year that it, he's been running it, so it's been open to like everyone, not just Klingons. Um, Trek Track also, they usually have a Trek Track party, but they couldn't have it this year because there was construction in the Sheridan where the track is. Um, but they also have, you know, kind of these smaller panels. Um, like Starfleet Kitchen. Yeah, we, I, we I'm not sure that. what that was about. But they, you know, you can suggest stuff to the people that run the track, and, you know, there's a good chance you'll see a panel about what you want there to be. This year they did the world record attempt and tried to beat out Las Vegas, but we only got 917. Wow. Okay. But, but okay. still, I, I mean, I don't think a lot of people knew about it. And uh, since there were probably, you know, 60,000, 70,000 people at con, I think <laughs> if more people heard about it, we have a pretty good shot next time. 60 or 70,000? Is that what I just heard? Yeah. I think that's probably a pretty conservative estimate, honestly. But yeah, I mean, every year they kind of mix it up. They, yeah. they have themes. Like this year, they, they tried to do a lot of DS9 panels because of the uh, anniversary. Yeah. So of this year's convention, what was the biggest takeaway for y'all? I feel like it was just the whole experience. I mean, for us, going to Dragon Con is really like a family reunion. We have so many friends that we met at Con, and it's the only time of year we really get to see them. So that's a big part of it for us. In terms of actual events, it was really great for us to see Adrian participate in the beauty pageant. I mean, it was fun to do the parade. Again, I really just the social aspect of it is my favorite part. I liked the DSign panels, but there's not really one thing I can pin down. It, it, a lot of it is really just, you know, seeing people and meeting new people. We always happen to, like, meet these amazing new people. 
listen, I'm sold. I think instead of going to Vegas next year, I'm going to seriously consider instead going to Dragon Con. That and actually, that'd be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's what I'm going to do because, for instance, I don't know that next year they're going to have the bridge there. The bridge this year was a big deal, having the bridge at the Vegas convention. We're trying um, to put the bug in the ear of Trek Trek to see if they can get it there, too. Yes. So I think after this conversation, I'm more sold to go to Dragon Con than I would be to go to Vegas again next year. And that's saying a lot, right? Because Star Trek Las Vegas is the mecca of Star Trek. You know, you go yeah. to Vegas. And I would recommend it at least once for anybody yeah. who can go. You know, if you yeah. can go, go. Yeah, if you're going to make such a big investment and go into a convention, make a Dragon Con. The think- hardest part is getting a hotel room. I don't know if they do this in Vegas. I don't think they do, but they use the pass key system. I don't know if you've ever seen this. Uh-uh. The hotels release the rooms at a certain date and time using a computer thing called Passkey. And what happens is so many people try to do it at the same time that it crashes the server. And it's wow. a, a crapshoot of whether or not you're even going to get a hotel room in one of the host hotels. We've been really lucky. A lot of people just kind of end up SOL with that. So definitely, if you want to go to Dragon Con, you need to make arrangements within the next couple months as they start releasing the rooms. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. I think this year we'll focus on maybe making a presence at Dragon Con instead of the Las Vegas convention. Excellent. Uh, and I'll, I'm definitely going to have to get my Starfleet uniform, so that's going to be an investment I'm going to definitely have to make. I don't know if I'd invest in this. I mean, it's cheap. It's like 150 bucks for this jacket and pants, and it looks okay. Or I make my own, you know, and I don't know how to sew. All right, well, you know, honestly, like I said, I think I'm sold. I think that next year's trip instead of Vegas would be to Dragon Con. And I'm going to have to convince the rest of the team of Priority One to fly out to Atlanta and do Let it Let us know you. if you need any help, because uh, I, I think once they get there, they're not going to need much convincing to come back. You know what it is? It's the passion that you are expressing, the excitement, is yeah. what I felt the first few times going to an official, quote-unquote, Star Trek convention. Yeah. So I think I need a change, and I think Dragon yeah. Con's going to be that good change. Absolutely. There's no other con in the world like yeah. that. I'm, I'm already positive of that. And there have been years where it's the only con that we've been able to afford to go to, and it's the highlight of the year. Yeah, same here. <laughs> Let's recap here. You're talking one ticket to get you into everything. No tiered, no captain's chair, yeah. no... Yeah. None of that. Okay. One ticket to rule them all. A convention that sprawled across five hotels yep. in the heart of Atlanta. You're surrounded by Southern hospitality. You're not walking on the strip Absolutely. of Vegas. And, and all the local are... businesses get into it. That's one of the really great parts about it is you, we see people in CVS and in the food court and in the hotels that get so excited about our costumes and take pictures. And some of yeah. them even dress up themselves. That's cool. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, Captains, I think that Elijah is going to save up his pennies and go to Dragon Con. And heck, it'd be a lot cheaper, that's for damn sure, flying from (laughs) where I am to Charlotte. All right, so I am looking forward to meeting you guys again in sometime next year for the New Jersey convention. I know it's early May. It's April. April? It's April this year. And in the meantime, be sure to check out In Development, the Priority One podcast blog written by Kate, Robin, and Adrian. And thank you so much for sharing your memories with us and your excitement over Dragon Con. I think that, like you said, you got me sold. I'm, I'm Forget Vegas next year. I'm going to Dragon Con. I can't wait. Yay. <laughs> I'm really excited. And you should do the parade with us, too. Oh, oh definitely. Yes. Oh, yeah. You can't. Oh, my God. I can't wait. I'm going to have Priority One like hovering oh, you, over you my head. You can have a Priority One banner in the parade. Yeah. Oh, we can talk that about is this. cool. 
Okay, we'll have to talk about this. I think we're gonna have to do this. We're, you know what? This, the planning is already. <laughs> <I get it>. <laughs> <laughs> All right, girls. Thanks so much for joining me and sharing your memories and sharing your excitement about it. I'm really looking forward to it. Discover something you think the rest of our listeners would enjoy hearing about? Send them over to us via incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Now let's check out what happened in Stow News. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. Well, we have Legacy of Romulus Dev Blog number 41 about the Fleet Leader Security System. And in a previous episode, and many previous episodes, we've been talking about the new and revamped Fleet Leader Security. This is in response to a couple of catastrophic events that affected Caspian Division, among other organizations. And these changes are intended to help with situations ranging from Fleet Admiral inactivity to blatant hijacking. The Dev Blog here is the final word. For now, on the security updates, they have formalized the kick to the provisional, uh, not quite so lackadaisical in the terminology anymore, but essentially it has remained the same from the initial concept that our Rivera sketched out to us. It's basically when a fleet leader demotes a fellow fleet leader, that person who got demoted is on probation, and they can be rescued or restored to their full fleet leader status by another fleet leader. So it eventually adds cooldown timers to those fleet administrative commands. So the bottom line is, for fleet security purposes, have three leaders you trust, and this should be able to take full advantage of the new fleet leader security system. So I'm sorry, what was it before and what is it now? Because I saw that there was a new thing, but I don't remember what the difference was. It's basically all the same, but they've sort of formalized the language it used to be kick rescue. Okay. Now it's like provisional demotion. And they've sort of updated the terms to make it a little more, you know, official sounding. They called you, didn't they, Tony? They called you. They did not. But if they had, I probably would have said, you know, make it sound Starfleety. And that might be better. But I mean, you know, no offense to our KDF brethren out there, you know, that you should murder a fleet leader, challenge him to an honor duel. <laughs> you know, they should have that, you know, for full immersion huh. purposes. Yeah. Absolutely. There should be a battle to the death. Well, except you can't have like a provisional honor duel. Like, okay, I'm going to stab you. I'm going to wait two weeks to see if you bleed to death. Uh, you know, that'd be tough to do. <laughs> no, it's just if you defeat him in combat, the system kicks in. That would be awesome. You have a little duel and a mat, and, like, whoever loses, their character falls. That character automatically goes on the two-week probation. But the thing is, is you can't have a probationary death in the Klingon Empire. I mean, you're either dead or you're not. And that's the key to this mechanic, is the two-week cool-down period. And that's where someone can log into the game and go, whoa, 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 let's undo that. That's the key to the mechanic. And a knife in the gut really is hard to undo. It's mostly the titling is what's changed. But bottom line, get three people you trust, let them run the fleet. And those people can watch out for each other. Moving on to Legacy of Romulus Dev Blogs number 42 and 43. We're talking new Romulan tactical warbirds. In Dev Blog number 42, the Star Trek Online ship team introduces us to the new Arkala and Arkeef tactical warbirds and discusses the artistic direction taken on those two new Romulan ships. According to the article, every Republic ship has the feather design somewhere and a distinct beak shape to the bow, along with the familiar green glow of the nacelles and impulse engines. Still, these are smaller and more agile than Dideradex class ships. Additionally, the blog explains that with most of the weapons in the front, the design of the tactical warbirds needed to emphasize forward aggressiveness, which it does with hawk-like 
forward-swept wings that flow smoothly into the front of the ships. So, James, what do you think of these ship designs? <laughs> okay, hang on here. Hang on. Oh, just talk about the pictures. Pretty pictures hang on, hang first. on, hang on, hang on. They are good-looking ships, okay? They really are, okay? They, they're just totally cool. They look nice. It's going to be a great another like little tactical ship to have, a nice little escort-type fighter ship. In dev blog number 43, system designer Jeremy Bordicus Cryptic Randall announces the base stats of what captains can expect from the Arcala and Arkeef tactical warbirds. Now, the base Arkeef ship is available to Commander level 30 players and is free with a rank-up token or can be purchased with Dilithium. The Arcala and the Arkeef Tactical Warbird Retrofit will be available for purchase via the C-Store. Captains, be sure to head on over to the official blog post for the complete stats of these ships. But here are the main differences between the Arcala and the Arkeef. James, why don't you talk to us a little bit about those main differences? Okay, so we have the Arcala, okay? And first of all, let me say, I get it, okay? I, I do. When I got to the commander level, I kept my Mogai. Even though I still collected a Derrida X, I never flew it. Never. It was so big and so battleshipy and so slow, I had nothing to do with it. I was just like, no, I'm more of an escort guy. So I just stayed in my Dederex and ran through that that level on it. So I get it. Okay, now they're saying, okay, you're going to hit this level, and now we're going to offer you something tactical if you don't want the big battleship. I get it. That's cool. And it's, like I said, it's beautiful. It's cool looking. It's very hawk-like. It's got, you know, a nice tactical setup. It continues the escort line for those of us who don't want to choose the cruiser in that lineup. So I get that, okay? Now, the Arcala has the instant tactical, okay? So the one tactical power. You have the commander tactical, which gives you four, and you have the one lieutenant engineering, which gives you two, and, and the lieutenant science, which gives you two, okay? And then, of course, you have the universal guy, which gives you two, and he's a lieutenant also. So you get eight console modifiers, two engineering, four tactical, two science. That's not bad, okay? That's pretty decent setup. So that's a nice tactical setup, you know, and you get, of course, the quad plasma cannons. Now, the plasma cannons I'm kind of torn about, okay? They run off of the energy weapon draws from the ship's engines. Now, I don't know anybody who stores a lot of power to engines. It's the same quad cannon that's on the Defiant. Yeah, that's why most people don't typically use them. To my understanding, these special quad cannons aren't generally used often. Anyway, aside from that, yes, I don't like that. I much prefer what they did with the Pesta where they had it pulling from auxiliary, because that's something that people actually put power into. As a matter of fact, I split all my power between weapons, shields, and auxiliary. I put almost nothing to my engines. Nothing. If I need some extra engines, I hit a battery engine battery. But anyway, so they give you the cannons, and they scale with effectiveness, okay? And then they have the alternate, which is the Arkeef, or Arkeef, if I'm saying that right, which is your retrofit, okay? So when you hit tier 5, you can go there. And then you have your lieutenant tactical, again, with two powers, your commander tactical, instant engineering, Lieutenant Science, Lieutenant Commander Universal. Okay, so it changes it up a bit. You get nine console modifiers. That's two engineering, four tactical, and three science. So to put that into terms against some of the existing. Okay, so I fly Delon right now. I have a Mogai and a Delon, and they're my two favorites. I've moved more towards my Delon just because it gives me a little more maneuverability. I really like that. My my Mogai is just slightly sluggish in the, the big wide turn, so I went with the Delon, and it's a fleet. So my fleet Delon, if I remember correctly, it has two engineering, three science, and five tactical. Okay, so that's one more tactical than their retrofit one. Okay, so I look at that and I go, okay, why would I go get the Akif? Why would I pay the money or do the extra work to, to go get this retrofit when my Delon fleet one is still better? Now, if they come out with a fleet version of the ship, 
that can do better, that might be something to go at. You know, I mean, then it might be something to look at. And of course, there are, you know, people are going to point out, well, there's 10 plus to weapons, 50 plus to singularity charge rate, but it's also minus 10 to your shield power to do that. And of course, let's not forget the consoles, the new toys that we're getting, okay, that come with it. And that's the cannons and the focus singularity modulator console, which grants the ships two powers, okay? It gives you annihilation mode which is what I was just talking about with the plus 10, 50, the charge rate, and the 10. And if you put the two together, you get the bonus set up. So you get the Annihilation mode. So that's something to sniff at. Now, if they do a fleet version of it, then it might be worth something going for the extra sift. But basically right now, I don't want to say anything bad, okay? I don't want to say that this is anything bad. It's just for those of us who are already level 50 and got whatever we got going, it's kind of like this is Johnny come lately. Even though it's a beautiful ship design, if somebody may just want something that looks different, but right now, there are other ships that are still better, like the Fleet Delon, until, like I said, such time that they release a fleet version of this one, which may be better. And we'll have to wait and see. But I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying it's not really useful to anybody who's already topped out at a Tier 5 and has one of these other ships. It's just not. But for those coming up through the ranks or rolling new characters, it will be nice to have an escort option now at the commander level. It really will be. And it's a beautiful option. It's got cool stuff on it. So it's not a bad thing. It's not. I'm just going to say it's not a bad thing. It's a cool ship. But it's just not particularly useful for those of us who have already leveled out, basically. So, But we'll see. Now, you're echoing a lot of what the forums have already said. Sure. For instance, Veggie Zero even calls the ship the mutant offspring of a Mogai and Delon. Mm-hmm. And suggests that it's got less tanking than a Mogai, mm-hmm. less versatility than a Delon, mm-hmm. less firepower than a Hafe and less turn than a Tavaro. Now, Don't Drunk I'm Shoot points out that the real issue is like what you said, that there isn't going to be a fleet version of the ship, which are generally better laid out and specced than typical sea store ships. Now, what about the feedback thread? You know, one of the biggest gripes that I'm hearing and reading on the forums about this particular ship was that feedback had been presented in a separate thread during a testing phase, I believe that was on Tribble, which leads me to the final point of this discussion. For this episode. So a few players reached out to us with a growing concern about the testing on Tribble and in turn how feedback is handled by Cryptic from the community. Ultimately, people feel that Tribble can be less of a iron out the bugs server and more of a let's put this on, let's have people test it and make sure that it's not going to explode with what's already on holodeck. Isn't that what a bug is? The feedback that they were giving was, to my understanding, very specific, and not just to Delon, but in general, will be hyper-specific in one way, shape, or form. Now, the definition of feedback is not commitment. It's, we will listen. Let's just iron out the difference between bugs and balance. I mean, you know, a bug is when something actually does break. You click a power and it doesn't work, or it doesn't work as it's intended. You can click on a power and it not be as good as you think it should be, or be too good for the context. I mean, that's just kind of a separate argument, and that's maybe a judgment call. A bug is, that's what Tribble's for, is that if I click the power and the game crashes the desktop, that's what they want to, I mean, that's why you have Tribble. But let's be frank, the number of people that go on Tribble is not terribly large. It's not a huge sampling, but, you know, they're not going to just fix it right away, and I use fix in quotes. They're not going to rebalance it based on the feedback of just people that test on Tribble. They're going to give it a couple weeks on Holodeck and see what... You know, see if the forum rage turns into, like, you know, something super big. Yeah, but there have been instances where things are, quote-unquote, working as intended, but when unchecked can seriously hinder gameplay. One example right now is in ground combat and the immunity to knockback. 
Pug01 pulled me aside and brought this to my attention. Long story short, you can continuously knock back your opponent with like a sword, a melee weapon, in PvP or PvE until they die. And that opponent can't do anything about it. Their tray is locked, it's grayed out, and the receiving player is just ultimately helpless. Remember in Mortal Kombat when you were playing a scorpion and you caught your opponent in the get over here loop like over and over and over until they died? It took a miracle to get out of that. And it's a very similar principle, except no amount of button mashing is going to get you off of the ground and away from your opponent in time. There'll be a link to a video taken by Pug01 in the show notes so you guys can take a look at it. I have to say, I like the sword thing. I played with a pug group the other night and we did Kid Record Ground and the whole group was using swords. I was like the only one who wasn't. And they annihilated the Borg, so I think that's awesome. <laughs> so I'm just going to say I like it. <laughs> But again, I mean, that's the difference between a bug and balance. That could be working as intended. If you can roll knockback enough times, they may want you to be unstoppable. Maybe that's the idea. But in PvP, that ruins gameplay because the video that I saw wasn't against an NPC. It was actually against another player. There was nothing that he could do. It was Pug01 taking the damage. He was filming it to show an example, and there was nothing he can do. This seems to me like another one of those slip through the crack things that like what we had a few months ago when we reported on the the duty officer bug that caused the unbeatable stacking right where in turn it was just you couldn't die right We're, we're talking about balance issues here the powers are working as they're designed but we're talking about edge conditions which like when you do it this certain way and set it up a certain way or if you have a high enough bonus power or whatever you're gonna always roll that proc And if you do it all the time, you're going to have this unintended sort of consequence. It's doing exactly what they're telling it to. The computer system is doing exactly what it's being told to do. But if you have a high enough bonus to certain skill levels or if you stack enough duty officers the right way, it's going to create these conditions which were unforeseen at the time the power was designed. These are problems, clearly. And Cryptic fixed the duty officer thing. I would say probably that... Almost immediately. Yeah, two weeks. So in the context of Tribble... And testing out the Romulan tactical ships, let's define bugs as things that break the game or powers that actually don't work or don't work as intended. And balance issues, which are where the powers do exactly what they're telling them to do and working as designed, but there may be conditions under which the design isn't quite what they anticipated. There are certain criteria or things that need to be rebalanced. And that takes more time and more feedback, which... They like to get because they do stuff when they get the feedback. We have seen them jump on immediate feedback. And when things maybe, although working as intended, perhaps not in the conditions that they had foreseen, like you've explained. So, Captains, we encourage you to write to us and present these game-breaking balance issues to us here at Priority One Podcast. Record a video of it. Put it on YouTube. Share the link with us. Send a chart of your math behind it, and we'll reference it. Come onto the show, and we'll talk about it with you, just like Pug01 did. I'm not saying that they'll get fixed. But perhaps we can help bring some awareness to something that's getting lost in a pile of the colors of my nacelles are wrong, you know? Now, you guys mentioned something about balance. And James, you talked about this too a few moments ago about how it was awesome. In a PvE STF, you were on the ground, you had your weapon, and then all of a sudden you see these guys swatting the Borg like gnats. They totally swarmed them with these swords and just hacked them to pieces. Oh, I was sitting there blasting them with my split beam, and that just totally worked great. So here's the thing, though. There are players that go into the game hoping for a challenge, you know, and this is something that Pug also brought to my attention. That type of gameplay might be fun once or twice, you know, whatever, but at some point you're going to want a challenge. And when these balancing issues happen that can break either PvE 
or specifically a PvP engagement, these elite players have gotten a little discouraged by the gameplay. I saw it as exactly the opposite, where I want it to be a challenge like the first few times until I figured it out and got the strategy down. And after that, you're basically just grinding on it a hundred times because you have to to get whatever piece of gear or whatever you want. And at that point, when I'm in the grind mode, I want it to be as easy as possible. So I kind of see it as an opposite. I want the challenge the first few times out because it's new and I want to figure out the strategy and feel all good about myself for figuring it out and being able to do it. And then after that, once I have it down, I want to be able to plow through that as many times as quickly as possible as I have to to get whatever piece of gear I'm grinding for. I'm actually kind of similar. I feel the same way. You know, I like that bit of a shortcut, so to speak. But there are these elite players and even I, even I, now that I have a strategy, for instance, with a no-win scenario, I want a challenge, you know, I want to go in there and feel challenged by something and I'm not really feeling challenged by STFs anymore unless I'm testing a new ship and I'm getting my ass handed to me until I figured out the new layout of the ship. But I'm hoping that in the coming months when we see season eight and they talk about endgame content that we see more missions like the no win scenario that is a progressive ongoing battle, you know, and you have to go through these levels of combat, whether it's in ground or in space. And that just keeps you on your toes, you know? You know that if you got wave 8, if you got wave 9, you've made an accomplishment. Not very many people can say that. You know, the other day, I jumped into a pug with the Epsilonian, and I got to wave 8 in a pug with him because I was being taught the strategy. So the other community question this week is, what type of endgame missions are you hoping they'll introduce in uh, Season 8? More no-win scenario-type deals or... STFs that you master it and then you grind it forever and ever. Here's my thing about that. It's really, really cool to do that, to figure it out and get a good team together and actually be able to do it. But at the end of the day, for all the hard work, for all the challenge, you get a title. Do you see what I'm saying? It's kind of like, now that's that's a very elite title to have, granted, okay, but I have some elite titles. I have a few titles that not very many people have already. And at the end of the day, I look back and I go, great, I've got them. And I can fly them over my name, but that's about it, okay? They don't really do anything for me. If they're going to do something like that again, my advice would be put something really cool, some wicked weapon or some piece of armor that is so crazy good that it's that hard to get. So that for the very few who actually make it all the way through it, those few people should be honored with some type of crazy gear set or outfit or something that's just a little bit more than just some name above them that says original thinker. How about all the tons of fleet marks you get? Well, yeah, you get a ton of fleet marks. But again, if your fleet is topped out or you have all the best stuff, what good are fleet marks to you? Do you see what I'm saying? Do you see where I'm going with that? Exactly. I do because I've been saying for the last two weeks now the economy needs a revamp and you're just another right poster boy for me saying <laughs> that the economy yeah. needs a revamp. Yeah, if my revamp. fed guy had a million fleet marks right now, what would I do with them? Nothing, because I have all the best stuff on him. Yeah, I have all the best stuff that is available. But here's what I'm saying, though, is that there are a group of very elite players, right, that go in and they do the hard math, right? They train other players on how to beat the no-win scenario with their eyes closed. And here's a community question. What new end-of-game missions do you want to see come to Star Trek Online in Season 8? Are you looking for more challenges like the no-win scenario where it's just wave upon wave? 
what are you looking forward to? Are you looking to for more STF-style gameplay, where you go in, you learn the technique, and you pop out again in a 45-minute game period? Tell us your thoughts. Tell us and share with us your ideas in the comments section below this episode on PriorityOnePodcast.com. Or I encourage you to do this on the Star Trek Online forums this week so that the developers and the team over at Crypto can see the ideas and see the banter going back and forth about what possible endgame content could we see coming down the pipeline here in Season 8. What would you like to see happen? Also, along those lines, we have a PvP bootcamp update. Bootcamp Vice Admiral at Koln checks in with a guest blog about upcoming PvP bootcamp events, which includes a tournament offering 1,250 Zen per player to the winning team. So check out the show notes for a link to that post. We also did have some patch notes this week, but they were mostly just kind of bug fixes. Nothing earth-shattering that I saw. But if you want to look at those, we'll have the link in our show notes for that, too. All right, Captains, that wraps up Star Trek Online news for this week. Let's head over to our Community Spotlight segment with another Foundry review by Justin Lowmaster. Chivalry being here with another Foundry Officer report. This time I'm talking about A Will and a Barkley by XR377. A Will and a Barkley is a humorous mission about the immemorial favorite malfunctioning holodeck, and it features the daughter of the notorious Starfleet Systems Diagnostic Engineer, Reginald Endicott Barkley III. The pros of the mission are highly amusing dialogue and situations, touchstoning on TNG episodes, and an engaging story. From the officer who gives you the mission, and the first contact you engage, it is clear the mission will take you on a fun ride. If you've watched The Next Generation, when you meet Barkley's daughter, you have an idea what you're in for, and XR-377 delivers on his promises. Many times the mission brings up situations that happened in Trek show history and in the history of Stowe. Anyone familiar with TNG and is a part of the Stowe community will get the references but they're delivered in ways that won't confuse someone who doesn't get it. They might think it's odd, but the whole mission is, so it'll fit right in. The story is interesting to read and interact with. The writing allows for you to get every detail and discuss things with Barkley, but you can also get to the point if you need to finish quick or just don't like reading. But I think you'll be missing out on some great content if you rush through. I don't have a lot to criticize, but the area that could be improved most would be that some of the maps have a small amount of things to do. Combining those actions onto another map, or adding more, even if only optional, activities to these maps would make better use of them and make it worth the load times. Also, the last space map is a bit sparse on details and could use more. It may have been intentional, but I would have done it differently. A Will and a Barkley is a fun and amusing mission to play with humorous situations and engaging gameplay. It will brighten your day. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Well, we had some feedback from episode 140. Those of you who listened last week know we had the ever-vivacious Terry Lynn Shillon to talk about the Foundry, and uh, one of the things we talked about was the importance of feedback for Foundry authors, so I thought I'd give everyone out there a sample of the feedback that I got on one of my missions, the Overture series. Gatoros, listener of the show, says, Four stars, good mission, Tony. 
on Overture 1. I decided to try it out after hearing you plug it during the P1 podcast. I like the story arc. If there's one critique to be said, I found the humorous sarcasm and dialogue was greatly overused. Thanks for the mission. Gatoros goes on to play Overture 2 and says, absolutely couldn't handle the dialogue. I love story missions, but the humor and sarcasm was so over the top that the mission became completely unplayable. It made the war room scene very, very painful. Gave up before the end of the war room scene. One star. Ouch. Yeah, I know. But Gatoros, thank you for your honest and direct feedback. Thirteen other people share your evaluation of Overture 2. One star. But unlike many of the folks who one star missions, you wrote exactly why you gave it the one star. That's helpful to Foundry authors and players. Because you tell the author, look, I didn't like this. This didn't work for me. And you tell players, look, this is what made me quit the mission. That's helpful to everybody who plays the game. But on the other hand, 588 people have given that mission four or five stars, so I'm not going to be changing anything. So I, the, the feedback is excellent. That's exactly how you should rate a mission. I appreciate it. And everybody else who looks up that series will appreciate your feedback too. So I just want to give a shout-out to Terry Lynn and highlight the importance of feedback to people who create missions in the Foundry and who play them. Give people your honest opinion and just be nice about it. Be constructive, be respectful, and Gatoros did all those things. That's exactly how it should be. And I won't take the one star personally. Tony, you're not a, you're not a one star to me, Tony. Thank you so much. Starting off the Stowe Forums, we have Green Dragon, who can drink it by the flagon. He'll understand that. At least I think he will, if that's where he pulls Green Dragon from. Anyway, I think Elijah needs to play more Foundry missions just to make sure he doesn't like all of them. Yes, Elijah likes everything. <laughs> Elijah likes them all. They're all good. Now, clearly, clearly somebody doesn't listen to the episode. But anyway... <laughs> Somebody took a vacation and didn't listen to last week's rant, but okay. Dennis Envy writes, I agree the low-buy ship prices are out of reach for the middle-class gamer. <laughs> there are cheaper ways of getting the low-buy ships, but unfortunately, they're rather involved and complicated. That the low-buy store has both reasonable loyalty rewards, like special ground weapons, as well as nigh-unattainable special prizes confuses things a bit, and the business model probably benefits from this. Sad as it might be. A complex sentence structured yes. very well. Kudos to you, Dennis Envy. And an excellent point. The business model probably does benefit from things that are involved and complicated because it obscures the true value of stuff and you might toss away a bunch of money on lockbox keys that don't give you a very good chance of winning the things you want. Right, Elijah? That is true. Azurian Star writes in and says, Was surprised to see so much passion into the foundry this episode. Really? Really, Azurian Star, are you surprised to hear that from me? I hope you're not. <laughs> I am a passionate, passionate advocate for the Foundry. I think there was just a lot of Foundry stuff going on in last week's episode. I'm going to keep harping on it because we got a lot of discussion on it. And then did you see Al tweeting about it this week? Now, he was even tweeting about uh, squash and exploits and reviewing what could be brought over from Neverwinter and stuff. So I'll keep hammering on it because I think that it's an important feature of the game. But Azurian Star goes on to say, on one end, they are hyping the Foundry in interviews at the conventions, telling us they wanted to open up the Alpha Quadrant as a dedicated Foundry area, and yet the care the STO Foundry gets is almost similar to the treatment the KDF has gotten. Oh. Is it really because they don't find profit in it? Surely they can find a way that benefits both of us, like offering a new Foundry asset pack for a couple hundred zen, or if Branflakes ups the ante in his Foundry challenges into contests that rewards the Foundry entries. Hmm. Maybe. 
I think when it comes to rewards, there are so many exploits to the Foundry. I mean, how is it that Neverwinter... Is Neverwinter suffering from this type of issue about players taking advantage of the system and exploiting the heck out of it? Or are there measures in place in Neverwinter? Neverwinter's had headaches from their Foundry from the beginning as well, but their time currency, it's designed a little different from the Dilithium system that we have, which is another reason why I am going to continue harping on doing an economy revamp for us as well, just because they may be learning things over there at Neverwinter with their time currency that probably need to get backported to Stowe, or they may be learning what not to do over at Neverwinter. I just haven't played it enough to know what's going on over there. Well, our next piece comes from Arcade Master, and he says, I'd argue that a big part of the financial success of lockboxes come from the fact that Cryptic isn't transparent with the time versus monetary value of in-game items. Most of the money is made from people who just don't know that they get very little in return. This is the part I kind of like, his view on the Foundry, where he says, As for the Foundry, here is my beef with it. I am a gamer first and foremost. I want interesting mechanics and challenges, not fan fiction. The Foundry could be so much more if it was possible to create your own encounters from scratch, including freely setting enemy statistics, powers, and equipment. That's where the Foundry is truly lacking, not the smokescreen discussion about Foundry rewards. And I have to agree with that a little bit, because I am also a fan, and I do like good fan stories. However, it's hard to play a game for a story sometimes, because when I'm in gaming mode, I want a game. You know what I mean? I want a little bit of story, but not so much that it bogs me down. I mean, if I want story story, I read Star Trek novels. That's why I read them. When I'm gaming, I want a game. Yeah, I do. I want an interesting track or story to follow. Yeah, but it's true. I think he's right. I think that's why I don't play Foundry very often. I don't. I rarely play it. I play my friends' missions basically because they're my friends and I want to see what they've done because they're very proud of it. And that's really about it. And I have to agree. It's because... I really want more interesting mechanics and challenges to draw me into Foundry missions more. You know, I agree. I mean, the fans love it because it's a chance to tell their stories, and that's cool. But at the same time, I want to play a game. I'm in this game to play a game. If I want to read a novel, I'll read a novel. Maybe Cryptic should have just a side forum where people can post their stories. What they need is a better discovery mechanism so that you can filter the story missions out. Or you can filter the pew-pew missions out. And if you want to play story missions, you play story missions. You want to play pew-pew, you go to the pew-pew. You know, that's not a bad idea. I agree in terms of the mechanics of the Foundry. It's been a while since, one, since I've played a Foundry mission. But two, since I've been wowed by a Foundry mission. Because the missions within Star Trek Online themselves, and I think I touched on this, if not last week, then the week before when we first had this discussion, was that... The Foundry missions, the mechanics aren't there anymore to wow us, to make even cryptic missions look bad. Cryptic missions have, in the featured episodes, have pushed the limit, and they continue to push the limit. On the downside, though, the Foundry has not seen that love. The mechanics are not there for that. And there's only so much creativity a Foundry author can do. So, yes, I would love to see more mechanics be introduced into the Foundry so that the Foundry authors have the clay to wow even the devs. There was a time when devs were looking at Foundry authors to perhaps even hire them. But I think that the tools just aren't there to look at Foundry authors as potential game developers. Yeah, it's going to get better. Once they finish the port from what they can get over from Neverwinter, the tool will improve. It's going to be a matter of time, a lot of time. 
more time than right. Stephen Penn. But Arcade Master is exactly correct. You know, the tools just aren't there to create unique gameplay experiences. We can uh, parrot at best what Cryptic has done with its later, you know, more modern missions, you know, the ones that have come out in the last, you know, six months or a year. We can parrot that now. We used to, like you said, push the envelope. Can't do that anymore. The envelope's been pushed about as far as it can be pushed with the tools we have. All right, Captains, and on PriorityOnePodcast.com, Sean Newboy writes, I averaged five low-buy over 41 boxes recently opened. I bought those during the Zen sale concurrent with the key sale. Great episode. I hope RUR does well. Good job, Sean Newboy. That's right. 15% off, 15% yeah, bargain off. This, shopper. This, this, you got a coupon. You got the discount. You got your shopper card. Tawani says, my soapbox is still too many monetary units in stow. Totally off topic, but maybe a gold LTS perk should be the ability to exchange between yes. currencies? So much yes. Maybe. Uh, I, I, I Wait, what? How would that work? What he's uh, referring to is the gold membership, people who pay yeah. monthly for the game, the $15, and then LTS, yeah. the lifetime uh-huh. membership right. of Star Trek Online. So how would it work, yeah. the ability to exchange between currencies? Well, right now there's a lot of walls between your money, right? You've got the Zen Dilithium Exchange, right? But then if you want to convert your EC into Dilithium, you've got to buy contraband and then do a DOF mission. So there's a lot of barriers between currencies, and that's mostly by design to keep out farmers, and I can understand that. But at some point, it's too much. I'm an armchair economist. That will surprise no one, I'm sure. But there's an old rhyme from the late 19th century. Money is a matter of functions for a medium, a measure, a standard, a store. There's four different things money does. And that means that at most, you should really have four different types of money. And that's it. A medium of exchange so people can trade. A measure of value so that people can compare values amongst different things. A standard of deferred payment, meaning that if I chip in something now, I'm going to get something sort of back later. And a store of value, which is if I save it up, it's not going to be worth nothing later on. So there's really four things you can do with money, and there should be no more than four different types of money. And in Star Trek, you're not supposed to have any money, according to the fiction. So when we have 16 different currencies and with so many barriers, and some of them just aren't tradable, yeah. like your fleet marks, James, if you go do that no-win scenario, oh, I know. you're stuck with your fleet marks. And the idea of tying it to a lifetime or a gold subscriber means that Cryptic has verified that person's a real person and has taken money from them at some point in the past. So that's kind of a low-risk kind of a player. That's a guy that's already contributed to the welfare of the game monetarily. Right. So I, I think that that's the kind of person you want running your economy. Well, I, yeah, that's why I understand controlling things like dilithium and stuff like that in some points for that reason, because it's a real cash flow. But, I mean, when you talk about, like, fleet yeah. marks and things in the game, they lose nothing. If a person wants to build a whole bunch of them and give them all away, who cares? That's like a guy at the arcade who gives away his tickets after playing the skeet ball for an hour. Who cares? You know how I want to feel when I make a purchase for an item in the game? I want to feel and walk away like I do when I buy something at Kohl's. <laughs> I spend money at Kohl's, I get money back in some way, shape, or form. Because you know what that does? That incentivizes me to come back to Kohl's and shop at Kohl's. So when I open a lockbox, I'm not feeling like when I shop at Kohl's. The low beat, I don't go, ooh, I can come back and use this to buy something. Or make it go towards something else. I want the purchases in Star Trek Online to feel 
like I do when I shop at Kohl's. That's what people need. They need to know what they're going to get for their money every time. They know that if I pay this much and I open a box, I'm going to get at least 10 lobi every time. Just a few episodes ago, I had gone out on the limb and said, oh, now there's very little buyer's remorse from the lockboxes. I kind of take that back a little bit in trying to get the Mobius Destroyer. I take that back a little bit. There's still that feeling of remorse because not only did I not get the Helmsman, but I was getting really crappy low-buy returns on it. I didn't feel like even though I wasn't getting what I wanted, I didn't feel like I was getting anything that was worth anything, if that makes sense. So, on Twitter, about last week's episode, our Vera replies, Great episode today. Really looking forward to RUR. To which I replied, That's it? Your silence scares me. To which he did not reply for a few days, right? Several hours, if not a few days, went by. <laughs> and Al shoots back, I'm a cooking a something up. He's a making a bigger meat the bottle so, for you. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, can, I, I can't wait to have him back on the show because I'm sure he's going to rip us a new one. All this Elijah ranty time and James ranty time and Tony ranty time that's going to come back to bite us. Oh, so badly. It so is going to come back to bite us. <laughs> to each one of our listeners, we had several memorials and condolences for Mark H2O Rat Valentine via Facebook. And thanks to everyone who posted. Captains, we want to see the comments continue to flow and the responses continuously coming in from you. So be sure to reach out to us via email to incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com or leave a comment in the comment section below this episode on PriorityOnePodcast.com. You can even talk to us on the Star Trek Online website in the forum post for this episode. That wraps up episode 141, recorded live on TrekRadio.net. Remember, we moved our Thursday night live recordings on Trek Radio to 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. Captains, we're looking for new writers and bloggers. Join our team as a guest blogger on PriorityOnePodcast.com. If you have other skills that you believe could enhance our content, then reach out to us via email to incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. As you know, we love hearing from you, our loyal listeners. If you have a suggestion, an idea, or a topic for any segments, or any of our existing segments, or if you just have some general feedback about this episode, please send it to our email address at incoming at priorityonepodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you in our iTunes as well. Let us know where we're doing good and where we're doing bad in the comments section of this podcast on iTunes, please. And you can stay in touch with us throughout the week by following our social media websites. Head over to facebook.com slash priorityonepodcast and give us a like. Or you can check us out on Twitter via at priority one A very special thanks to everyone who contributed to this month's financial goals. Priority One is brought to us by the generous donations of listeners like you. So please, visit PriorityOnePodcast.com to find out how you can help support the show. A very special thanks to our Andorian allies, El, Vinny, and Adorpheus, for convincing us all that DragonCon is where it's at. And you know what? Elijah and I happen to agree with you, so you might be seeing us sometime in the future there. Thanks to the entire team behind PriorityOnePodcast.com. Additionally, audio editing and engineering for this episode of Priority One Podcast was brought to you by Night Hammer Sound Productions. Uh, to the composer of our theme music, Mr. Chris Watts, special thanks to our sponsors, Sayulita.com. And most importantly, of course, a huge thank you to you, the Stowe community, and our listeners. Without any of you guys and your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. So thanks for listening, and tune in next week. Red Alert. Shields up. Ready weapons. Engage. Engage.
Transfer complete. Monday mornings at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm James. And I'm alone. <laughs> I'm Was back. Was that me? Was I supposed to nobody go? Nobody else yeah. came back with me. You see, here's the thing is that the more and more that I have had uh, dealings... Uh, are you serious? I just got a phone call right now. Wow. Poor form, Elijah. Poor form. Having his phone go off. The sister. I don't know why I said it like that. Sister? Be- we. Okay. All right. Be there, so, captains, be, there, be sure to head on over to the blog. F you. <laughs> I'm hunting gassy androids. <laughs> oh, Tony, another non-scripted sweep. What are you going to do, man? I'm on the game, bro. What? Oh, man. Man, I, I just I stand in awe <laughs> here with, with you. Isn't denizen a word? Yeah, denizen is like a, it's kind of like a citizen or a resident. So... Dennis Envy. So I think he's the sixth I think he's citizen. Dennis Envy. I don't really care. Just say okay. something. Just say not for tofu. All right, Dennis Envy. Not for, not tofu. for tofu. That's right. <laughs> uh, Denzel okay. Washington. Okay. Dennis Envy. Right. Right. Chicago. 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 <laughs> <laughs> All right. Dennis Envy writes, I agree, the Lobi ship. <laughs> you were going to say something. Right? I heard you, you know breathe. I was. You took a, a deep breath in. Like <laughs> you know I was. Okay, Bumblebee that's good radio. <laughs> uh, all right. A very special thanks to everyone. Oh, sh- okay. <laughs>